It's wonderful to have the chance to share with you this morning. As we've been going through this summer, we've been journeying through a sermon series called Surprised by God, where we recognize that God's goodness, God's love, God's grace is greater than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. And oftentimes in our minds and in our hearts, we limit God. We put God in a box. We say, God, you can do this. We can't do that. God, you can help me with this. You can't help me with that. And we've been trying to take God out of the box this summer. We've been trying to say, okay, God, show us uh, the fullness of your goodness, even though it surprises us, even though we'll never fully grasp it. Today, we're looking at how we're surprised by the goodness and the greatness of God's vision. This is our vision Sunday for our our church as we recognize uh, and ask God, show us where you are leading us. We see the need for vision all over the place. Not long ago, I was talking with a family. You know, right now, we're in the middle of vacation season. They had just gotten back. They have three small children. They drove 2,000 miles in a vehicle with only six seats and five people, and they stopped at something like 15 national parks and national monuments along the way. Now, in our family, we are national park people. We have a poster of the national parks up in our house. We put a pin in the poster each time we go to to one of the national parks. We have the passports. We get our stamps at the national parks. We consider it a legitimate intellectual question of whether you've actually been to a national park if you don't have your passport stamped. And I want you to know... We haven't ever broken in to a locked visitor center to get a stamp yet. But we've considered what you might need to do in that occurrence. So I was fascinated. I wanted to know all about it. Uh, Were the kids able to enjoy the trip? How did you make it happen? They began to tell me. And they said the kids had a great time. We were so proud of them. It went so well. We were gone for 10 days. Everything was perfect. And they were angelic for nine days. (laughs) But we had a day. And it started out like any other day. The sky was blue. The sun was shining. We had a wonderful plan for the day. We ate breakfast. We had the waffles that you get, you know, the Continental Breakfast Waffle Maker. We had the waffles. Everybody was happy. We got in the car. We went to the first stop, and things started to go downhill. And by the second stop, there was yelling in the back seat. And by the third stop, people were throwing shoes and fists at each other in the back seat. And by the fifth stop that day, when we finally got to the next hotel we were staying at, they were accusing us of medieval torture techniques. (laughs) And we asked ourselves, the other days were so great. What was different about today? So they said, we put the kids down to bed and we huddled in the bathroom. We shut the door, we crammed ourselves in by the bathroom sink, and we debriefed. We had a post-mortem of what went wrong that day. And somewhere, God gave them insight, and they discovered something. The kids didn't know what was coming up that day. The other days, they'd done a pretty decent job telling the kids, this is what we're going to see today, and this is why we're excited about it. But that day, they'd forgotten. 
And as they were going from place to place, the kids didn't know where they were going, why they were going, or why they should want to go and spend time in the car with one another to get to the next stop along the route. And so they just felt like they were powerless and their parents were demanding that they cram themselves in this small car and go to these things that were supposedly neat, but they didn't know what they were. Everything went off the rails. So they made a plan that helped them for the rest of the trip. They said for the rest of the trip at breakfast every day, we covered everything we were going to do and why it was so great. And we did very well for the most part. Now they discovered something that the writer of Proverbs knew several thousand years ago. You remember Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's what we know. We have to have a vision for our lives, and it needs to be God's vision. God's vision for our lives and God's vision for our community, because otherwise we will settle for a vision that's not nearly big enough. Some of you, like me, grew up in a day when Taylor Swift was not the most popular, highest-paid female vocalist. That honor went to a vocalist by the name, well, I don't think her mother gave her this name, but she went by the name Madonna. And if you're not familiar with Madonna, I want to find a polite way to describe Madonna. So let's call her somewhat more provocative than Taylor Swift and not as good on guitar. Well, There was one day early in her career when Madonna was on a nationally televised TV show and she was asked what she wanted for her life, what her goal was. And she said, some of y'all can repeat it with me, to rule the world, to rule the world. And everybody thought, what an incredible vision. What an audacious young lady who would say something like that. Well, friends, when you've encountered God's vision, you look at something like that and you say, how small, how shallow. Why is she settling? Why why would she stoop to rule the world when she could be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because God gives us this very different vision. We need that vision every day. Or without that vision, what happens? We perish. I want to invite you, if you're not already reading your Bible and praying every day, there's nothing better you can do to help get that vision for yourself than read your Bible and pray. We have a Bible reading plan for each and every day of the year. You can pick it up in the at the information center in the lobby. Also, you can get it online at concordunited.org slash Bible. There at concordunited.org slash Bible, not only will you find the Bible reading plan, you'll have the chance to sign up for a daily devotional, which will give you further reflections, help you go deeper into the scripture readings, and also give you a focus for your prayer time that day. I can't encourage you strongly enough to do that so you can have that godly vision for your life. Because that's what God does. He gives us vision for our lives, and He gives us vision for what He wants for us as a community of faith. I want you to know God won't give someone else the vision for your life. God will give it to you. God might use someone else to help you catch that vision, but God's going to give it to you. You can't 
come to church and say, I'm counting on the pastor to give me the vision for my life. No, God's going to give that to you. God might use a pastor to, to do so. It's not good enough for you to say, well, you know what? My spouse is the religious one in the relationship. I'll trust him or her to have the vision for my life. By the way, that's a dangerous game to play too. Uh, you're going to be doing all the dishes if you, if you take that route in, in your spiritual life. Well, we need to find God's vision for our lives. And we need to find God's vision for our community. And we can look and we can see how God's been at work. And now we say, God, how do you want to work through us now? So I want to share with you some scriptures about how God works. We, we start in the Old Testament with the book of Joel, as we see how God casts vision. And this is when the people are coming back to the Holy Land after being exiled in Babylon. They're rebuilding, and they're just trying to get by. And Joel's saying, no, God has a vision for you that's much bigger. You're just trying to get by and reestablish your houses and your farms. God's got a vision of using you to bless the whole world. And there's going to be a day when God does this. This is how Joel describes it. Then afterward, on that day, God says, I will, pour out on my, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Did you hear how vision came? Comes to us all. Old and young, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, it comes to you. It doesn't come to someone else to tell you. It comes to you. And our vision here at the church comes through all of us. And then we say, well, uh, what is God's vision for our church? What's the mission? What are the marching orders God has given us as a community of faith? Uh, that's found in a passage of the Bible that's often called the Great Commission. It's at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he's been appearing to his disciples. They can touch him, they can feel him, they can see him. He's just about to ascend to his Father, and they will no longer be able to touch and feel and see him, but he's promising to give them the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide them in this new day and age. But before he goes, while they can still touch and feel and see him, he has some things he wants to share. And, and this is what he shares at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Where we pick up with the 28th chapter, the 16th verse. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you even till the end of the age. This is Jesus' mission for the church. I want you to know this about the church's mission, and that is our mission is eternal. It does not change. We don't choose our mission. It is given to us by Jesus here in the Great Commission when he says, make disciples, teach everything I have taught you, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as we 
did today. And he says, I promise I'll be with you always and take this to, to all the nations, to all the peoples. When we talk about our mission here at the church, we have a mission statement. And I want you to know that our mission statement is nothing more than a descriptive paraphrase of the Great Commission. That's all it is. All we're doing is we're putting into 21st century English, common language, what we believe a disciple looks like and how disciples are made. That's, that's it. Because we recognize if we just say disciple, many people come to church without knowing what that means. So we're trying to describe it. There might be times when language and culture changes, when the words we use to describe that mission adjust to more adequately describe it. But the mission's always the same. The mission of the church is eternal. Here's how we describe our mission. Our mission is to share Christ, serve others, and grow in faith. That's the mission of our church. That's how we describe what it looks like to make disciples, to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ to serve others and meet real physical, emotional, and spiritual needs because Jesus said he came not to be served but to serve, and we should do the same to grow in faith, to recognize that, that we're not there yet. We still have a long way to go, and we need to approach God with a spirit of humility to help us grow in faith and recognize how far we have to grow. Now, our vision is a little different. Our vision is how we can best focus our efforts to accomplish our mission during a particular season in the life of the church and of the community. So vision at this church often changes three to five years because things in our community change. So what we find is that vision changes as needs change, but mission is eternal. Vision changes as needs change, but mission is eternal. And just as we spoke at the beginning of this message about how God will give a vision for your life to you, that you can't trust God to give it to someone else, though God might use someone else to help you discern it, God gives vision for a community to a community. God gives vision for a community to a community. So what we're about to share with you isn't something that I or anyone else sat in our office one day and dreamed up. It's something that's emerged from within this congregation. About a year ago, uh, we learned uh, that Pastor Larry would be retiring, that at that time I would take over as senior pastor. And at that time, Larry and I began meeting, and we began talking about where, where our church had come from and where God was leading us. Just after COVID hit, Pastor Larry gathered all of us together, uh, all the leaders he could find, uh, both staff and, and lay leadership, and he said, we need to discern right now in this time that no one could have expected, what's the greatest need of our community, and how is God leading us to be the church in this season that we did not anticipate? And what we prayerfully discovered during that time was that for the last three years, God's wanted our focus to be being an, having an invitational culture. Because during COVID, we looked out at our community and we said, what's the greatest problem? It's isolation. It's people are isolated. And that's not good. Do you remember Genesis, the very first story? Uh, it's not good for humanity to be alone. And so what do we need? We need an invitational culture. 
We need to invite people back to community, community in person, community online, any way we can cultivate community. We need to do so, and we need to invite people to it with an invitational culture. That's, that's guided us for the last three years. That's why more people are a part of the life and the ministry of this church now than prior to COVID, because that's been what you've done what your commitment has been to reach out and to invite people into a loving, transformative, grace-filled community. And as about a year ago, as Pastor Larry and I were talking, we began to look and see that the world was quickly exiting the post-COVID age and that new needs were developing. And so we began to identify some. And from there, I met with our pastors and staff and many lay leaders from within this congregation And we began to talk about those needs. And we began to talk about the history of our church and where God might be leading us. And then we put some words to it. And then we ultimately took those words and we shared it with our church leadership council. And we said, do you believe this describes where God is leading us over the next three to five years? And they said, yes, we do. And so I'm here to to share these words with you today. Our vision is to be the most welcoming, helpful, and courageous church possible as we live out our mission to share Christ, serve others, and grow in faith. To be the most welcoming, helpful, and courageous church possible. That's our vision. And we've asked all the ministry areas of the church to go and to say, what's the most important way during the next year you can be welcoming? What's the most important way you can be helpful? What's the most important way you can be courageous? And do that each year for the next three years. We're going to come back together. We're going to put that into a strategic plan for ministry that we hope to share with you on January 1st or around January 1st. Hopefully we're all celebrating uh, victory by the University of Tennessee volunteers in the college football playoff on January 1st. And that's what we've asked them to do. If you lead a ministry at this church, I'd ask you to work in your ministry area to say, How can we be welcoming, helpful, and courageous in this Sunday school class, in this small group, with this missional outreach, uh, with this event that we put on every year? I'd ask you to ask yourselves, how can I in my life be welcoming, helpful, and courageous? And I know some of you are thinking right now, some of you are detailed people, some of you are list makers. And not only are you list makers, what's exciting about being a list maker is being also a list checker offer, right? That's the real, that's the real bonus. Well, you're thinking, this is great. This is the greatest sermon ever. You could make a list out of this sermon. That's good. We need people like you. And some of you are thinking, when's he going to talk about people? Like, I, I like people. I like relationships. Every goal we have is relational. Every goal. We make lists in order to accomplish relationships. We shared today about building buildings. We build buildings for relationships. We build buildings for transformative ministry. We don't do ministry so we can build buildings. We build buildings so we can change and we can bless lives. That's why we do it. So I want to share with you this morning in the time we have left a little of what we think being welcoming helpful, and courageous. And not just being welcoming, helpful, and courageous, but being the most welcoming, helpful, and courageous church possible is going to mean for us. And this is just a jumping off point where we get started. It's going to mean a lot more than this. One, being welcoming means that 
we have hospitality such that when you come on our property, you are surprised and delighted by how graciously you are treated, that you feel like you are loved and that you belong, that no one comes in these doors and finds a seat without a smiling face and someone reaching out to them. That's, that's our goal. Our goal is to have warm online hospitality for those who worship online that we are reaching out and we are seeking to, to personally connect. Our goal is to continue and to build upon the invitational culture we've developed, that we are inviting others from our neighborhood, from our schools, from our places of work, from our families to be a part of this community because we recognize we need church. We recognize the difference church makes. We don't want anyone to be isolated. We want them to be a part of a community of faith, that we are going out into our community. Jesus never said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Build a building, open the doors, and wait for the people to come. He said, go to all the nations. So we're going to keep going. We're going to go by putting a lot of inflatables here the first week of school on our lawn for Rock the Block and telling all the school kids to come. We're going to go. Did you know they have this like dog competition in Turkey Creek? I had not. Did you know 10,000 people come to Turkey Creek to watch dogs jump into water? That's amazing. Whoever their marketer is, I want to meet that person. 10,000 people watching. I like dogs. I like water. I like watching dogs jump. I like watching dogs jump into water. I can't believe 10,000 people come for that. We're going to go to that event. We're going to have a tent. You know what we're going to have at that event? We're going to have a blessing of the dogs. It's a blessing of the dogs. Don't bring your cat. Like, we'll make a house call if you want that done. We're going to have a blessing of the We're going to meet people where they are, wherever they are. We're going to be the most welcoming church possible. What difference does it make to be the most welcoming church possible? I want to tell you about the difference it made for one young lady. She grew up in a difficult home. You may have heard about the term adverse childhood experiences. We're learning more about those in our culture, but what the stats tell you is that these adverse childhood experiences uh, directly affect uh, your quality of life as an adult. And d adverse childhood experiences are things like if you have uh, emotional neglect in the home, if you have extreme poverty, if you have unstable and unsanitary living conditions, uh, if you have domestic violence, if you have divorce, if you have severe uh, depression within your parents, if you have uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse, if you live in an unsafe neighborhood, if you experience discrimination within your community, these are all examples of adverse childhood experiences. Here's what the stats tell you. If you have four of those, if you have four of those experiences, your chances of becoming an emotionally healthy, uh, professionally excellent uh, adult uh, who has a, a very solid career and who has a loving and secure family of your own, those chances go down significantly. Uh, in fact, your chances of having chronic uh, health issues and mental health issues, if you have four adverse childhood experiences, the chances you have chronic health and mental health issues, they go up by 400%. If you have four adverse childhood experiences, uh, your chances of one day attempting suicide go up by 1,000%. Now, as I've shared that with you, uh, some of you think those poor children, and some of you are thinking, that's me. 
Some of you grew up in that. And some of you right now are going down the list and you're going, oh my gosh, I'm at four. Oh my gosh, I'm at six. I'm at eight. Here's what I want to tell you. You're not a statistic. You're a child of God. You need to know that. Statistics matter because people matter, but you're not a statistic. You're a child of God, and God can do more than we can ask or imagine, and more than any statistical analysis could ever predict. That's what God did for this young lady. She had nine. She had nine adverse childhood experiences. At that point, your chances of having a fulfilling adulthood, we're beginning to get into the needle and haystack territory. But when she was a child, some women at a church nearby heard about her. And they just started driving by and picking her up. And she didn't understand everything they talked about at church, but she knew for the first time in her life when she went there that she felt safe. And she found some adults who invested in her. And she began to chart a different track for her life. Fast forward a few years. She's a professional She's got a beautiful family of her own, but she's experiencing some challenges in life that her upbringing didn't prepare her for. And she remembers and realizes she needs a church family, and she needs a place that can help her. And she met some folks from our church. She was part of a group that did Taekwondo, and there were some other women at our church who did Taekwondo. And in addition to trying to punch her in the face, uh, they invited her to church. (laughs) And she came to church. And when she came to church, people she didn't know greeted her. And they welcomed her. And, And even people who she thought might dislike her. I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Mike, who leads our traditional choir, uh, he does Taekwondo. And his first experience with this young woman, she kicked him in the face. Kicked him in the face. That shows you his skill level. <laughs> and hers. But she, she came to this church. And she said, once again, when I walked in these doors, because of the way people treated me, I felt safe. I felt safe. And I felt like this could be a foundation for me and for my family. And I decided this was going to be our church. That's what difference it makes, being a welcoming church. What's it mean to be a helpful church? It means that when you walk in these doors, you're going to receive teaching from the Bible about God and God's character that always is applicable to your daily life. We're never going to teach you something about God, some idea about God that doesn't have real life application because God came from heaven to earth to change our lives, not just to allow us to sit around and do theoretical theology. You're always going to get real life Christian teaching. Then uh, you're going to be a part of a church that is committed to helping our neighbors with their physical, their emotional, and their spiritual needs. And when we do so, we are committed to finding and avoiding toxic charity. We will avoid those things that make us feel good about ourselves because they're easy for us to do, but create further systems of dependency and don't really lift people up and empower people and set them free. We're committed to that. Even when it's difficult, we're committed to that. Jane Kerr and our mission team already does a wonderful job of that, and they're learning more and doing better, helping us all do better in that regard each and every day. It also means that we're going to be helpful to other churches. Uh, We believe uh, that we're not the only church where someone could find Jesus. Uh, 
We believe these other churches are there because God has a vision for them. And we know that many churches didn't come out of COVID stronger. They came out of COVID trying to keep the lights on. We're going to help the other churches as we best can who need our help. And we're thankful for many churches who help us learn how we best do our mission. What difference does it make being a helpful church? Well, this young lady came to church, decided this would be her fam family's church. I asked her, I said, what was your experience when you got involved here at church? She said, it was amazing. She said, I went to Bible studies and they were okay if I asked questions. And they were okay with my questions, even though I thought they might be judgmental about the questions I had. And she said, then I got to know some of the pastors and I talked to the pastors and the pastors were okay with my questions. And they loved my questions and they told me I should explore and study and research my questions. They, they helped me with my questions about life and about faith. And then she said, they, they helped me give back. You see, Pastor Mike's a pretty smart guy. When he saw her coming in to church, he kept an eye on her, probably because he didn't want to get kicked again. <laughs> well, he noticed something. She'd come to our traditional service, and when she did, instead of reading the hymn lyrics off the screen, she'd look at her hymnal. And Pastor Mike said, she can read music. And he found her. And he said, would you like to be a part of the choir? Actually, he then said, no, 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 let me take that back. You're going to be a part of the choir. We have a spot for you. She's now a part of the choir. She helps lead worship. She helps sing and helps serve. And she has this whole community of friends within the choir who support her. What difference does it make? It makes a big difference to be a helpful church, to meet people where they are and help them with where God is leading them, God's vision for their life. What's it mean to be a courageous church? It means each of us, we will cultivate a spirit of personal humility focused on repentance that we all know that we are, have so far to go to get to God. That as far as we've come, we've got farther to go. That we make mistakes and we sin every day and we come in desperate need of Jesus' forgiveness every time we approach God. And we come in desperate need of God's guidance to live out the vision that God has for us. Uh, this spirit of humility, seeking to grow in faith, seeking to grow in service, that we develop uh, volunteer leaders and staff leaders who are always looking for, God, what's the next thing you're calling me to do? How are you calling me to grow? How can I take what I'm doing now and teach someone else who needs a place to serve to do that? And how can I grow? I tell our staff in our meetings that if you just want to do what you're doing now uh, for the next decade, this is going to be a very uncomfortable place for you to work because what we're about growing as God leads us. And then we're about moving the ministries of the church forward and reaching out to more people, even during a day and age in our culture when many churches are taking a step back. And finally, we are about expanding our facilities for the purpose of having space for all those who want to be here, for the growth that we see occurring. We will expand and we will renovate to make possible that ministry. That's what it means to be a courageous church. What difference does it make? Well, again, I want to share with you the experience of this young lady. When she came here, uh, these issues she was facing, she needed a place that would help her find the foundation and the courage to learn new ways of relating to life and doing life. That's what she found here. And then uh, 
she found herself in the midst of a situation that required courage that she never imagined. A few years ago, she went to the doctor. They asked her to come back and get further testing. She came back, and eventually they shared with her that she had breast cancer, that she would need surgery, and she would need chemotherapy. And she said when that happened, the church rallied around her. When that happened, people came out of the woodwork at the church who had had cancer, including Pastor Brooke, and they said, hey, we're here for you. Here's what you can expect, and here's how we're going to be with you, and you're going to get through this. The church began delivering meals every Thursday to help uh, and make it easier on the family. And I want, want you to know, uh, she said, this has been amazing. It's given me a foundation to journey through. Right now, she's, she's had surgery. She's right in the middle of the chemo treatments, and uh, her body's weak right now, but her spirit is very strong. I want to introduce her to you. Many of you, you know her. Her name's Dawn McGee. You can see her picture with her family uh, there, there on the screen. You can see her incredible husband, Jeff, uh, her handsome and talented son, Speed. You, you made this difference. And in her life, during this season, when her body is very weak and she can't come here to attend Bible study like usual, she said, you know, Pastor, I committed myself to reading the Bible and studying Christian theology at my home. And she began to list some of the theologians that she was reading. And I was like, man, those the that's the reason I didn't want a PhD. <laughs> like, like, I didn't know if I could handle that deep stuff. And she's consuming it. And she said, let me tell you what I've learned. There are two things I've learned. One is God didn't want me to have cancer. And God didn't give me cancer to punish me. And God didn't give me cancer to teach me a lesson. I got cancer because we live in a fallen world. And there's evil and not everything works like it should in a fallen world, including DNA. That, that's why I have, have cancer not because God wanted it. And she said, but the Bible says that God will work for good in all things through those who love him. And I believe God is working for good through my cancer. I believe God is teaching me things and helping me grow in my faith and grow in my ability to love and care for others in ways I couldn't without the cancer. But I don't ever believe God wanted it or God sent it as, as a punishment. And she said, let me tell you what else I believe. She said, there are days when I'm not strong enough to believe. When my body is so beat down uh, that I'm not strong enough to believe and see what God is doing. And in those days, I believe Jesus believes for me. That we're told that if we just abide in him, he'll take care of the rest. And in those days where I can't see it, when I can't feel it, when I can't even hope for it, that Jesus believes for me. And because he believes for me, I'm going to be okay. Because the Bible says that he came to give us his righteousness. Not just that he came to forgive us, but give us his righteousness. That is his right relationship with God because he's the only one who's had a fully right relationship with God. So he can invite us into that. And she said, in those days when I can't do it on my own, I'm invited into that relationship. It's the difference. Being a welcoming, helpful, and courageous church can make in a life. And how many lives around us need that? How many young persons in their school age years need a place where they are loved and they are accepted unconditionally because they're not getting that in their other circles? How many people who move to this community when they retire are moving from a place where they knew everyone and they need new friends? 
how, how many people come to this place towards the very end of their lives and they're moving here to be next to children who can take care of them, but they need a friend group. You know, there's many ways that being welcoming, helpful, and courageous will take all of us. I want to share with you one real quick that is courageous uh, for some of you who are introverts, is welcoming for all of us. Here's one of the things we're going to ask you to do when you come to worship. We're going to ask you to follow the three-minute rule and the ten-foot rule. Here's what the three-minute rule is. Three-minute rule says, I will get to worship three minutes early. And I will talk to people during those three minutes. And I will welcome them. And I will stay three minutes late. And I will talk to people during those three minutes. Now, some of you, I know, I know, you're sitting there going, that sounds great, the part about staying late. That part about getting here early. I'm more of a first song kind of person. I come in during the first song. That's fine. You just stay for six minutes after. Okay? That's fine. Now, the 10-foot rule is this. Wherever you're sitting, you draw a circle with a 10-foot radius around you. And you decide you're going to talk to everybody in that circle. Here's what happens at a church our size. Sometimes it gets more difficult. Because people say, well, I didn't know if someone was new or not. Because they could be a guest who I'd really need to greet. But they could have been here for 30 years. And I could offend them. Here's the deal. If they're here for 30 years and they haven't greeted you, I'm offended. <laughs> they have no right to be, offended. You, to be offended by you. You tell them the pastor is already offended by them. No. If that's the case, if they've been here 25 years, that's great. Guess what? They could use another friend. Is there anybody alive with breath in their lungs who couldn't use another friend? No, we could all use another friend. Or they might be new. And they could even be in a situation where they're desperate for another friend, for a friend, uh, for someone to help them feel loved and feel safe. Will you do that? Because it inspires me when I hear the story of Dawn McGee and her family. And it also troubles me because it's not the only story I hear. Uh, recently, I was out in the community, uh, and I ran into a guy I know, and he was telling me that his family had just found a church to uh, plant themselves at. He was very excited about it. And I was asking him questions because I just wanted to make sure he was very excited because if he wasn't very excited, I have a spiel, right? Now, I would never pull somebody from a church they're very excited about. But if you're not excited, you know, I want you to be at a church where you're excited. I, I think I know an exciting church named Concord United Methodist. And he said, well, we, we gave your church a try. We came to your church about two years ago. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me you were coming? And probably because I was going to give him a spiel. And he said, we walked in, no one spoke to us. No one spoke to us. And we walked out, and no one spoke to us. That can happen anywhere. And thank goodness they found another church. And that does happen everywhere. There, there's no way to create a system uh, that ensures that doesn't happen at all. But I want you to know, when we think about the stakes involved for literally thousands of people, who live within a five-mile radius of this church who don't have a community of faith, who might need one more than you could ever imagine, then when I look at this and I say, I think about what it will cost for us to be not just welcoming, helpful, and courageous, but the most welcoming, helpful, and courageous church possible, 
when I look at that cost, I'll be honest, there's a moment when I step back and I say, oh, are we up for this? Can we really do this? And then I look at Dawn McGee and her story. And I think about those hundreds and thousands of people that live right around here. And the only question that comes to my mind is how can we not? How can we not? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you have welcomed us into your fellowship. That you have sent your son to bring us into community with you, though we don't deserve it. We thank you that you have given us these biblical teachings and even the direct words of your only begotten Son to guide us into the vision of life that you really have for us. Show us, Lord. Show us how we can mimic the love we've seen in you, a love that was courageous enough even to walk to the cross. Show each of us how we can be welcoming, helpful, and courageous in our individual lives and show us as a community how we can be welcoming, helpful, and courageous so that we can accomplish that mission that your son gave the church at its very formation to make disciples, to share Christ, to serve others, to grow in faith. We pray this with humility and with gratitude in our hearts. And we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.